Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Today, my guests are Michelle Bilodeau and Karen Cleveland, authors of The New Wedding Book, A Guide to Ditching All the Rules. And this book, it really acclaimed from 2021. It breaks down all of the traditions that come with, you know, what tends to be a heteronormative Western wedding. And they go into all sorts of amazing history, interviews with real couples about the joys and pressures of the wedding day. And let me be clear, this is not a diss on wedding book. Karen and Michelle will tell you what uh, profound romantics they are and how much they love weddings, but that there was an opportunity and some would even say it's high time that a lot of the traditions and tropes that have hung very heavy on the wedding day have a chance to be re-examined. And we go deep into the wedding dress, the bridal attire. And if there is a day that many, not all, that many women feel a crushing pressure to be perfect in the perfect dress, it is most certainly the wedding day. So let's dive into the conversation with Michelle and Karen. Karen and Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us, Donna. Oh my gosh, it's a total pleasure. So I want to dive in right away, but before we start talking about, you know, wedding attire, which we're all, we're all brides here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write to write this book? Like what got you guys going with like, this is, this is the project we're going to work on. What was your inspiration? Yeah. So this actually started, well, like we've been married, not Karen and I together, but <laughs> we've been married to our partners uh, for over seven years now. And Karen and I actually got married six weeks apart from each other. We've been friends for a really long time. And in the lead up to the wedding and post wedding, we would just get together and we would just kind of vent about the things that made us feel icky. And there was a lot of things that made us feel icky about the process of getting married. Um, you know, and specifically as around attire, around fashion, like I, my mom was, you know, no daughter of mine's not getting married in a specific wedding gown, like a flowy, froofy wedding gown. And I was like, well, I'm not. So like, what does that say? Like, why I I really questioned why she had this idea about a bride looking a certain way. Um, And, you know, my dress was fashioned around what my grandmother wore to wear to marry my grandfather. So I didn't understand that disconnect. So Karen and I really sat down and just started asking a lot of questions about stuff around weddings. Um, And then, yeah, we one day Karen said to me, like, I think this is a book. And I was like, oh, shit, are we doing this? Like, yeah. Um, So it was a bit of a longer process than I think either of us anticipated. But yeah, we worked on it for four years, five years. um, And then it came out in April 2021. And Karen, what was your thesis when you guys were, were, you know, working on the book? Because it's not you know, it's not a how-to, it's not, you know, there's all sorts of elements to it. What was your thesis as you were going into the process? And how does 
the wedding attire of the bride and groom kind of play into that mm-hmm. thesis that you guys are working with? Mm-hmm. Our thesis was that weddings had gotten out of date and out of touch, basically. Like at, at its core, we just wanted to explore why we get married the way that we do when so much of the trappings of weddings are really holdovers from all kinds of cultural fake traditions. So we wanted to just poke away at that. And when we talk about a wedding, we're really, I just want to be clear, we're talking about the Western white wedding as we know it in pop culture, which in and itself is problematic. We explore that in the book. And looking at the archetype, this sort of singular narrative that over the decades, the fabric and the cut of the dress might change. But what's consistent is that the wedding dress is still this really loaded, emotionally charged garment. So it was that piece of the puzzle that we that we wanted to look at and how the dress plays into this expectation, how women transform into a bride. We want women to look perfect. And with that comes the pressure for the perfect dress. And it's so significant, I think, Donna, because we fetishize it. Like you look at shows like Say Yes to the Dress, even the language we use, like, have you found the one? Like we talk about our dress in the same way that we do the person we're going to marry. And that pressure does not exist for men in the same way. Um, so we wanted to really uncover why that is. And then also when you bring in the element of being a savvy consumer, like why do wedding dress cost so much? Really? Like when so many of them are off the rack, poly Ben dresses, uh, are women getting gouged? So we wanted to explore that piece to it as well. Okay. I want to dive into that, but before we do, I just want to uncover one more kind of process piece because I want people to understand that it wasn't just like, Karen and Michelle in a vacuum thinking about weddings. Like, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the interviewing and the research that you guys did to compile um, all the juiciness that you you bring forth in the book? Yeah. I think, yeah. Oh, sorry. sorry, go Karen. Oh, <laughs> I think one of the things that we agreed upon really early on is that we we had talked to so many people, so many couples who felt the same way. And we wanted to include their stories in the book as well as part of our research. So in the book, between every chapter essentially is a story from a real couple um, talking about, and a lot of it had to do with attire, had to do with what they wore on that day. Um, So yeah, we, we really wanted to dive into a lot of stuff from a sociological perspective, but we also wanted to have kind of people tell their own story in the book. Um, because Karen and I are both, you know, white, heterosexual, cisgender women, and we wanted to be able to speak to a broader audience because the white Western wedding kind of industrial complex does not. Um, so we wanted to include voices from all different kind of walks of life. So let's get right into it because I'm so excited about this. So Karen, you mentioned like there's all this pressure, right? Has the has the active has it always been so loaded? Like, has there always been that kind of pressure and anxiety around the dress, the one, the wedding, the perfect day? What's the history there? No, um, no, this, this is all new sure. and no. yeah, hard okay. now, um, but there's so much to unpack why. So Michelle and I are super pro romance. Like we love weddings. If you invite us to your wedding, we'll be the first person on the dance floor and the last person to leave. We love weddings, but what we don't love is this sort of cultural narrative around this, like we, we joke in the book, we call it like an arms race, this one-upmanship of like, the wedding has to be bigger and more elaborate and more interesting and more special and more Instagrammable. But this pressure for weddings, this, this intersection of pop culture and social media, celebrity culture, fashion, fast fashion, cheap fashion, it's all new. So 
decades ago, like I'm sure our grandparents would have been super amped to marry their partner. Like it's not to say that weddings weren't in part important, but it probably would have been, you know, at the local church or their place of worship, there would have been a little bit of a potluck lunch. Women would have worn the nicest outfit that they had, but probably a dress that they could wear again, like by, by intention, they were not buying something white. The white wedding dress is a really interesting history. That's like royalty and, and symbolizing um, classism essentially, but this is all a post-World War II construct. So after World War II, there was this uh, real deep romanticization of domestic life and of marriage and family and enter the pressure for like diamond engagement rings and for weddings is this sort of um, the singular moment for women to like have their day, like have your day the way that you want it. This one day of your life when you get to call all the shots. So that's all relatively new. But what's happened, and I'd say like the last 10-ish years, is that's now all completely elevated and like just gas on a fire through social media because we consume every celebrity wedding and it's normalized things that would really never be normal for us mere mortals. Like you see like the fashion, <laughs> the decor, like Kanye and Kim's floral wall, right? Like all these things that we would never dream of, but you see that in your feed, you're like, oh, I guess this is just what a wedding looks like now, right? Um, so, and we spoke to, you asked earlier about the research for the book. It was two years of research with two, three research assistants, pardon me. Like it was a really robust team exploring all this and interviewing body image experts and sociologists and anthropologists. Um, and women's studies experts, like really getting into why this is the way that it is. So post-World War II, I mean, we could, there are books and articles and there's so much about pop culture that is impacted by that particular time in history. Is there a, is there a line in the sand moment or kind of a, a, a explosive moment that really can pinpoint when the wedding became the spectacle that we kind of know it to be now? Is there one particular moment that kind of defines when that shift happens? Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of started with a whimper with uh, Princess Grace of Monaco. She was a Hollywood star who obviously married the the Prince of Monaco. Um, But what really, really set it off was when Princess Diana and Prince Charles got married. Um, seeing that that wedding was the most watched and possibly still is the most watched wedding um, in history. Um, I remember tromping through the woods with my grandmother at the cottage to watch it at our neighbor's house because they had a television. Right. Like it was such a massive, significant moment. Um, And I think most of us can still remember like what that looked like and how long her train was and the fluffy, puffy kind of shoulders. Um, And it's only gotten bigger from there. Like we still, it now is like a cultural moment when someone in the royal family, in Britain's royal family in particular, gets married. Um, You know, we we wake up early to, we woke up early to watch uh, Prince William and, and Kate get married. We did the same with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Um, so that really was the, the impetus for the big celebrity, like all the eyes on celebrity weddings was, was Princess Di and Prince Charles. Well, and Princess Di is so interesting because there's a lot written about her in terms of her being the, one of the main celebrities or public figures in the 24 hour news cycle. Like CNN was coming up at the same time as Princess Di was having her, her wedding to Prince Charles and that constant 
attention. Uh, you know, the red carpet was becoming a thing then as well. Like, how did all of these impact the psyche of women as they were trying? Because it's not like they all we all woke up one day and went, I want to have my day in the sun. Like, what was kind of like the the slow burn of cultural shifting that happened? Or how have people described it when they've talked to you about it? Yeah, the sentiment um, that I'd say in whether it was Princess Diana or Kate or Meghan is this real reverence for brides. Like no other singular moment in a woman's life is she put on a pedestal in the same way that she is as a bride. And it has a lot to do with her appearance. So, of course, there's congratulations for the couple, but we fetishize the way brides look. And that is... I think, you know, it's very new and certainly on a whole new level now because of technology. But even then, um, it was just sort of a, I don't know, I guess it's, it's really vulgar, but as a society, we've always been very comfortable about critiquing how women look and complimenting it when they do a great job and tearing them down when they don't. Um, and because I think there's a lot of sort of cultural conditioning that women are subject to around their appearance. We want to get the gold star and we want to look beautiful and we want to look like a beautiful bride, whatever that means. The problem is it's become a very singular, narrow definition of what a beautiful bride looks like. Well, and Karen, I couldn't help think of something while you were talking about the fetishization of the bride is, you know, for those of us who grew up watching Jeannie Becker on fashion television and seeing all of the runway shows, the bride was always the pinnacle of, of a designer's runway show. It was the last model to come out. It was the, you know, the, it was the honor for that model to wear the bride dress. Like, did you talk, did you unpack or what are your thoughts on how the fashion industry has influenced and supported this, you know, elevation of the bride as the pinnacle of a woman's aesthetic, if not more than that? experience? I think maybe that's for book number two. <laughs> there was so much to cover. Um, you know, fashion was definitely a big part of this book. But um, yeah, we we didn't get into kind of how the fashion industry plays into that just yet, because we had a lot of ground to cover. Um, you know, even just we, you know, thinking about it now, and what you said, Donna, like, the idea that the bride has to look like a model. So how does that tie in the idea that brides have to lose weight to look a certain way in their wedding dress? We did speak a lot about that in the book. Um, you know, we, we talked about the extremes that women go to, um, to look a certain way in their wedding dress. Uh, we mentioned in the book, one woman had a feeding tube put in for the last two weeks before she got married oh um, to lose the last, I think it was 15 pounds. Right, Karen. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we taught, we dug into that a lot because we, we really see that there are a lot of red flags around that kind of, um, mindset. So yeah, maybe looking at, you know, I, I personally am a fashion lover, you know, that, um, I loved always seeing Carl's brides at the end of the Chanel show because they looked, you know, over the top and, you know, otherworldly almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that a hundred percent plays into the idea of, a bride uh, looking a certain way, um, but we weren't able to get into that specifically just yet. So. Okay, well, I'm available for us to brainstorm that element of book two, whatever. <laughs> Thank you. What we do get into exploring though, which is kind of interest is narrowing the gap between like that aspirational sort of Princess Diana mm -hmm. couture custom made 
and then the spectrum to fast fashion. And where that's happening now in the bridal industry is that um, most large chain off the rack boutiques are selling brides the experience that you're getting that sort of very high end, you know, like a ridiculous number of fittings, all of which you pay for, for any listener tuning in, um, that you're getting that, but really you're buying a poly blend dress. And listen, we're not dragging buying a poly blend dress. Like what we're saying is that consumers need to be super, super savvy. So if you want to buy a cheap, like, have you heard about the Amazon wedding dress? It's this beautiful, like mermaid cut dress from Amazon that flatters a myriad of body types. It's super beautiful and it's dirt cheap, which is great. Um, don't pay for that dress as if it's made out of silk and cut for your body because it's not. And likewise, the sustainability and a well-made, like really well-constructed garment are important to you. Then people can look to previously worn or sample sales. Like there's a lot of different ways to find the dress that works for you in your budget, but really, um, not falling for the sort of the tricks I would say of big bridal. Yeah. Well, and obviously like, again, we're not, we're not like here to bash weddings. I'm a lover of weddings as well. And I, I love dressing up. I think fashion is a tool for empowerment and confidence and you should feel wonderful whenever you dress, especially if it's at an event of significance, like your wedding. I don't think you guys are suggesting that people throw out the idea of wearing something that makes them feel great. What was, as you were interviewing you know, women in particular, what was their relationship to how they wanted to look and feel and dress on their wedding? And was there anyone that you were talking to who was starting, like, is tradition starting to move away from that, like, ethereal, you know, white ball gown dress? What have people been saying? It really and just if they want to wear a yeah, ball yeah. dress, like if that's your jam, like have that, or it should be exactly. whatever you yeah, absolutely. want to wear. Exactly. Yeah. The people we spoke to really ran the gamut. Like I'm thinking of one woman who was quite surprised that she wanted the dress and was going to New York for fittings with her mom, but didn't think that she'd be that kind of bride. And then another woman that we, um, that we interviewed wanted to wear a jumpsuit and she went to a bridal store to find like a really chic white jumpsuit. And the staff was sort of scratching their head because they thought it was for her bachelor party or for a dinner party or her engagement party. And they couldn't reconcile that she just wanted to get married in that because that's what she felt really great in. So we we see everything. And then we see, um, oh my gosh, one of the most beautiful weddings in the book, I think, um, is a couple. They're uh, Jamaican by way of Canadian. He's from Czech. They got married in Berlin. And she wore this super hot gold cocktail dress because that's what she felt the best. So we saw it all. We saw it all. And I think we really do try to impress upon people that you can edit your wedding to make it feel the most like you and your partner. And that's what you should be doing. Um, and that could potentially include a floral print, polka dots, a different color. Just look at you know how much was said about Gwen Stefani's dress when she married Gavin Rossdale, the pink dip dyed, I believe it was Dior. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just having that hit of pink, so many people were like clutching their pearls, but really it was a really beautiful gown. Um, so like whatever floats your boat, I think is kind of what Karen and I really try to impress upon people, like wear whatever the fuck you want to get married. Like that's what it should be. There shouldn't be this pressure that you have to wear white, especially given the connotations of purity and virginity and all of that stuff, which don't really apply to people now. Um, it's really kind of high time that we threw that out of the window and 
But if you do want to wear white and you do want to wear like a fancy, fancy ball gown, because that's your one day to do it, have at it. Um, it's just really trying to, we're really just trying to speak to people about taking away that judgment and that pressure to do things within kind of a cookie cutter uh, mold. Did you find as you were talking to to couples that there was that tension of, I I feel I must, you know, wear white, do these certain things. I mean, there are so many traditions and tropes around the, you know, Western Christian, small C, big C wedding that become just like rote almost. Like we just do these things. Did, did people express the tension of like understanding what the expectation was and feeling like they wanted to do something different? Yeah, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Me being one of those people. Um, again, I wore like a I wore a below the knee sheath dress with a suit jacket to my wedding. Um, and I, my mom and a few other family members, you know, had something to say about it. And but they saw me in it, and they realized how happy I was and how my how much myself I felt in it. And that kind of went out the window. Luckily, um, I do think. What was interesting is we wrote the tail end of the book uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. And so we did speak to a few people in terms of what was happening around the pandemic. We didn't make it a pandemic book by any means. We did have a little bit of info uh, in there about it. But we spoke with, um, and I don't know if this made this in the book, but we spoke with the founders of Lover's Land, uh, the boutique on Ossington and Toronto. And they said as soon as the pandemic hit and when stores were able to open a little bit again in summer 2020, so many of their customers came in and were like, oh, thank God. Like, thank God I can just choose something a little bit simpler, a little bit more to my taste because we're really paring things down for our wedding. And that idea that it took a pandemic for people to relax into themselves a little bit, like that's really extreme and that shouldn't really be the case. Do you think that's where tradition is moving? Like if you put on your, you know, your, your, your crystal ball glasses and look towards the future, where do you think the tradition of, of the wedding dress is moving? I think it's moving towards more of a sort of less one size fits all model. Um, especially I'd say like in a, in a country like Canada in general, in the city like Toronto in particular, where you, Thank God anyone can marry anyone here, right? So you see this like amazing mashup of um, non-binary couples and couples from a myriad of different backgrounds and, and second marriages sometimes. So it's, I think we're spoiled in Toronto because we have lots of examples of ways that couples just do whatever they want. And it's so beautiful when that happens. And then I think, you know, that's this sort of the pressure from the couples that we spoke to that were participating in this sort of autopilot of weddings could really point to two things. One was um, cultural pressures. So when you flip through a magazine or when you are scrolling on your feed, there's just this sort of iconography. And the other piece was family pressure. So as long as I think is we as a generation don't pass this garbage messaging down to our kids and really let them marry who they want, however they want, then maybe we can start to sort of bend that. But the size of the industry is not to be underestimated. We are talking billions with a B. The bridal industry is massive. Um, and it's, it's, you know, to your point, fashion is a very powerful tool. So I'm skeptical that we're going to be able to rewrite this, but I hope that if our book can even just nudge people a little bit to more towards making decisions that make sense for them, then we're, then we're delighted. 
And I do think that some celebs and tastemakers will really start to have an influence. Like if you look at Tiffany Pratt, she's on HGTV. She's a, as a designer. Love um, her pink hair all the time. Her pink hair. Her <laughs> wedding Tiffany. was like pure pastels. And it might not be for everybody, but it was really fun and beautiful. And it was a true expression of who she is. If you follow any of her design um, you know, if you have her book or you follow any of her shows, like she's very much the like pastel queen. Um, and of course her wedding should reflect who she is. So see, if we start seeing more influencers and tastemakers um, and celebrities doing things a little bit differently, then hopefully that will also move the needle. I so appreciate this conversation. I know we could have like three more episodes around mm -hmm. all of this stuff, not to mention book two. I want to end just with a, a personal question, because what I often ask people on this podcast is, what was that moment when you realized that fashion was more than just something that covered your body and protect you from the elements? Because I will often use clothes and fashion and style interchangeably. But what I'd love to ask you is, what did you wear on your wedding? And is that what you would wear again if you were getting married today? Yeah, I wore a lovely dress that I picked out by myself, uh, out shopping around the corner from where I was living at the time by a Toronto designer, Lowen Pope, who makes just gorgeous bias cut silks. Uh, yeah, gorgeous dresses. So I bought it off the rack. Uh, and then it was, I think the straps were widened because I, I really wanted to wear a bra. Uh, so they made that happen for me. And it was a great experience. And I bought it by myself because I do not like shopping with other people. And it was great. I love the dress. It's hanging in my closet. Every couple of years, I threaten to dye it black so I can wear it all the time. And maybe one of these days I'll get around to it, but I would absolutely wear it again. I'd marry the same guy too. For him, for him <laughs> and the dress. I would do again. What about you, Michelle? Um, yeah. So I touched on this already, but my, my dress was, um, it was just like a little sheath dress. It was actually backless for a little bit of, of a reveal after I took my suit jacket off. Um, it was designed by Arthur Mendoza, another Toronto designer. So I showed him basically what my grandmother wore to marry my grandfather. She wore this like beautiful dress jacket. She had these really awesome heels on this little jaunty hat. Um, I didn't do the hat, but I did find a really amazing pair of uh, Tabitha Simmons blue and green silk floral shoes um, that I got on mega sale at Hudson's Bay, which was amazing. And I think I even wore them like quite a few times before the wedding and then can't really wear them post because they're really, really high. Um, but yeah, I would 100% wear the same outfit. Um, I don't regret, <laughs> I never regret wearing it, but I'm also the type of person I change up my hair all the time. So it also would be kind of fun to maybe wear something different. Um, but I would also marry the same guy. So me too. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't help. So this is going to be the part two conversation we have, because mm -hmm. something you said, Karen, really resonated with me about how you went shopping by yourself. Mm -hmm. And that made me think of the expectations of mothers, mothers-in-laws, girlfriends to be a part of a bride's experience, because that either is something that they value or they were denied or there are all of these expectations about what we do together as women around a wedding and mm -hmm. how it can get really messy when someone wants to change it up. 
Yeah, I think it infantilizes women. Like, why Why do we need someone? You don't need a committee of people to tell you what garment of clothes to buy. It's ridiculous, uh, <laughs> right? And I think it also plays into this idea that, like, of course women need a little bit more help. Like, so we better get other people to tell them what to do. Um, so, like, I, I'm a social person. I love my girlfriends and I love consulting with them on lots of big life things. What I wear is not one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. So much to talk about. Okay. If people are interested in purchasing the book, if they want to follow the two of you and see what projects are coming up on the horizon, Michelle, where can people find you? Yeah. So we started an Instagram account. It's just at the new wedding book, all one word. Um, So yeah, you can check us out there. We have a campsite link there to all of the articles and all the media we've done uh, surrounding the book. And if you want to buy the book, we're available on Indigo, Amazon, I think Barnes and Noble in the US. So we're available quite, uh, quite widely. Um, yeah. And you can just check us out there. Yeah. And what about I, you, Karen? I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Karen Cleveland. And um, thanks to the hard work for a publisher. We're also at a ton of small local independent bookstores. Yes. So support your locals to support your small bookstores. Absolutely. And we'll link all of those in the show notes below. Uh, Michelle and Karen, thank you so much for this juicy conversation. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for being here. Uh, Thank you, Donna. This is great. Thank you so much. It was really fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I would love to connect with you on social. You can find me at Fashion Talks Pod on Instagram is the best place. If you have a moment to rate and review Fashion Talks on Apple Podcasts, I would so appreciate it. It helps other people find the podcast. A big thank you to CAFA, the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards, uh, the producing partner with Fashion Talks. You can find out more about CAFA and all the other things we've talked about today in the show notes. Until next time, thank you so much for joining me. Bye. Bye.